Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series, Show Us Your Glory. And we are still in part one of what will ultimately be a seven-part series. And as always, I want to uh, let you know, if, in case you're just joining us, the notes and the recordings for all of these are available at our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. And there may be a bit of a delay in this week's recording being uploaded because uh, Pastor David and his wife are actually away in Cuba for about a week or ten days. So uh, whenever they get back, they'll probably get caught up on these few studies that we're doing now. But I want to say once again, this is more than a Bible study for me. This is something that has really consumed me for a number of weeks, really digging into the scriptures to find out what they say about this very important topic, the glory of God. What is it? What does God want to show us? What is his glory? What, what are we really talking about when we're saying, show us your glory? And we're still in the very beginning stages of answering some of those questions. And we started last time <clears throat> looking at Moses' prayer in Exodus 33, where you find those very words, show me your glory. And, of course, that's where the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. So there are a couple of hints in that exchange between Moses and the Lord as to what God's glory is all about. And we're going to develop this much more in coming weeks, but I think we will be able to show that the glory of God actually shines through the face of Jesus Christ. That's where God's glory is manifested, through the face of Christ. So it's interesting that in Moses' day, God said, you can't see my face and live. He, of course, was under the old covenant. We are now under a better and a complete covenant whereby the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Calvary, is sufficient for our full redemption, restoration, and glorification. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Back to Moses in Exodus. When he prayed, show me your glory, God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Pay close attention to that word. My goodness will pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Three words there that you want to remember. My goodness, mercy, and compassion. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the compassion of God. Then, in the next chapter, when God actually answers Moses' prayer, and he passes by him, announcing his name, we listed these words last time, but let me sum all this up again, where God declared himself to be 
compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Very interesting. A lot of these characteristics are related. God's compassion, His mercy, His grace, His love, His forgiveness, His faithfulness, His kindness, His goodness. This seems to be the heart of what we're talking about here. The glory of God is really the character of who God is, radiating, shining forth from His very person, from His very being. And we defined the terms last time. Let me just go over this again quickly. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is a very interesting Hebrew word. It means weight, something heavy. And it, it just talks about the overwhelming fullness of who God is. And in the New Testament, the, the word glory is the word doxa, from which we get words like doxology. It speaks of dignity, honor, reputation. And in both cases, it's always something that is displayed. It appears. It's something that people can tangibly see and feel and witness. They know when the glory of God has appeared. And I want to say something uh, that greatly encouraged me. This past Sunday in our worship service, we were preparing to start our worship, and as we were opening in prayer, before even the first note was played on an instrument, I very distinctly sensed the cloud of God's glory come into the sanctuary. And that's what we're looking for. We're we're earnestly praying, and I want to encourage you to join me. Keep praying that when we come together, we're not just playing church. We want to see God. We want His manifest presence, His glory to come and fill the room. And, of course, when God's glory comes, it's not hard to worship. It's very easy to praise and worship and weep at his feet and fall down before him. And that's the very experience we have been talking about that the heart of man longs for. We saw last time in Ecclesiastes that Solomon declared God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And I think as we develop this study, you're going to be able to see that when God made man in his own image and likeness, he so designed him that he would be able to see, to appreciate, and to understand the glory of God. Matter of fact, I don't think man is ever happy or satisfied without that relationship and that experience in the glory of God. Which brings me to our starting point for tonight. If you're in the notes, we're on page 3, Show Us Your Glory, Part 1, Introduction. And to understand God's glory, 
I think the best place for us to start is to understand why fallen man can't see the glory of God. And this scripture that we're going to begin with tonight in Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, is one of the simplest scriptures, probably one of the best known, often preached scriptures, and it's at the heart of Paul's exposition in the book of Romans on the great doctrine of justification by faith, how we become righteous, not by keeping rules and laws, but by putting our faith in Christ. And as Paul develops that theme in the book of Romans, <clears throat> excuse me, he spends the first three chapters painting a very bleak and dark picture about the condition of fallen man. And it sort of reaches its climax here in Romans 3, verse 23, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when I first got saved, there's a gospel tract we used to carry around with us everywhere. Maybe you've seen it. It was called the Roman Road, and it basically gave several simple scriptures from Romans, starting here with where we are without Christ, all have sinned, and then it took you through the steps of repenting and believing in Christ, where you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, and you're saved. Well, as I've often shared in these studies, we can think we know a Bible verse, but suddenly God starts to stir our hearts to go back and study it again, and we realize there's something more there that we've been missing. And I want to tell you, this scripture is so simple, but for weeks and weeks I have been pondering the meaning of this verse. And let me read it again slowly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I never paid very much attention to the last part of the verse. But it's very important. And Paul, remember, is trying to explain to us the gospel. Simple salvation. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we began to point out last time, the word sinned throughout the New Testament comes from a very interesting Greek word, hamartano, which literally means to miss the mark. The idea of maybe an archer shooting his arrow at a target, aiming for the bullseye, but he's missed that mark. He's missed the bullseye. And the full definition for the word is to miss the mark and so not share in the prize, to err, to trespass, or to sin. And I shared with you my story last week about the dartboard, demonstrating that if, if you hit anywhere else except the bullseye, you've sinned, you've missed the mark. And 
it never was as clear to me as it is now meditating and studying out this verse in its fullness. What is the mark? The mark is the glory of God. All have missed the mark. Their arrow or their dart has fallen short of the bullseye. If you and I are going to hit the bullseye, it's called the glory of God. And at the very heart of redemption, Paul is trying to paint a picture for us. What God wants us to be restored to is that very mark, that very bullseye, which is God's glory. Anything less than that, we're falling short. And that word is interesting also. To fall short of is a Greek word, hysterio, which means to be inferior, to fall short, to be deficient, to come behind, to be destitute, to lack, to suffer need, to be in want of, or to be the worse. So I think you can see the full meaning is to somehow be falling short of that glory of God. We're, we're deficient in the glory. We're inferior to that glory. No matter how hard we try, we just don't measure up to the glory. Now here's why this scripture captivated my attention some weeks ago. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the context, talking about the righteousness of God and sin, and the very next verse says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified is a fancy word for to be made righteous. And I thought, why doesn't the verse say, all have sinned and fallen short of God's righteousness, or God's laws, or God's demands, or God's standards? Those would have made more sense to me logically in the context, but that's not the point that Paul is trying to make. At the very center of the gospel is God's purpose and plan and desire, not just to cause us to stop sinning, but to be restored to the full glory of God. And if you can catch this, it's going to change your whole perspective on the gospel. God did not send Jesus Christ to the cross just so that we can shout hallelujah on Sunday, my sins are forgiven. If that were the case, don't get me wrong, we would have plenty of reason to be praising God for all eternity. But that is not the gospel. We're going to see later on in this study, the gospel that Paul preached is called the gospel of the glory of God in Christ. It's the good news of God's glory. So glory is at the center of the gospel, and if we miss that part of the gospel, we're missing the mark. So, all have sinned, something has caused 
mankind to deviate from the target, to miss the mark. And what that means is we've fallen short of, we're lacking in the glory of God. <clears throat> now, there are a number of meanings or implications from this simple verse as to what Paul is trying to say concerning the unregenerate or the unsaved man, woman, or child. Let's look at some of the possible meanings. And I think if you take all of these meanings, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, but take all of them and put them together, you have a full picture of what Romans 3.23 is talking about. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One obvious meaning is when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell away from God's grace, His favor. They fell away from fellowship with God. And thus, He, ever since then, has failed to attain the glory of God. He cannot receive God's glory. He cannot be glorified by God because of his fallen state. Further in the book of Romans, Paul starts to talk a lot about being glorified and God's glory. Let's look at one passage just to sort of introduce this, and we'll be looking at it further along when we get to the New Testament. Romans 8, verse 28. Everybody knows this verse. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But that's not where Paul ends. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen carefully to verse 30. And those, that's you and me, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Paul's talking about justification by faith. But that's not the end of the gospel. Those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So yes, the gospel is the good news of justification by faith, but the ultimate goal is to be glorified by God. Fallen man cannot be glorified by God. He cannot receive the glory of God. He has sinned and come short. He's deficient in the glory of God. Here's another meaning. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11.7, we're told very clearly there, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. Pointing us, of course, all the way back to Genesis 1 where God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. But notice how Paul connects the image with the glory of God. Man 
was made in the image of God, and he also was possessor of the glory of God. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, they lost that. He is inferior now, <clears throat> excuse me, he is inferior now to his original created state. It was a glorious condition that man found him in, in the very image of God. No other animal, no other creature had that distinction. Only man was made in God's image, and the glory of God was upon him. So, man is the image and glory of God, but because of sin, he has now fallen short of that. He's inferior. He's lacking in the glory. He lost that glory due to sin. Another shade of meaning that we can um, extract from Romans 3.23, based on the meanings of sin and falling short of, he's destitute. He's lacking the glory of God. He's in need of the glory of God. And if we have any Spanish listeners, you'll know in the Reina Valera version, the, the Spanish version that is generally used in churches, it actually says, all have sinned and are destitute of the glory of God in Spanish. Destitute of the glory of God. So the idea conveyed here is he's, he's bankrupt. He's lost it. He's lacking in the glory of God. He needs, once again, that glory that was originally there in creation, but lost through sin. Another different shade of meaning, and again, I think all of these are correct, and if we put them all together, we're going to get a full understanding of what Paul is saying. In the same book of Romans, back in chapter 1, Paul explains this, fallen man cannot bring any glory to God. He can't glorify God. And he ends up, instead, worshiping idols and denying the very existence of God. Let's look at this. Romans 1, verses 21 to 25. It says, Although they knew God, they neither, here's the word, glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and listen carefully to verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Idol worship. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped 
and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Fallen man is utterly incapable of worshiping and glorifying the Creator. He will always end up making a trade, trading in the truth for a lie, and worshiping some inferior God with a little g, whether it's self, or a reptile, or some statue, or some other false thing, he cannot glorify God. Notice again verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, and they ended up exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sinful man cannot glorify God. He cannot worship God. He cannot truly have a relationship with God. Sin is like a big wall between him and the Creator. Here's another shade of meaning that comes out, and depending on your Bible translation, the word, it's the same word that's translated glory everywhere in the New Testament, but it's sometimes uh, replaced with words like praise or honor. I think in the NIV it may be praise or honor, but it's literally the same word for glory. And the New American Standard, I think, translates it accurately. And I'll read two verses in the Gospel of John where you find this. First one is John 5, 44. And again, reading from the New American Standard, Jesus questioned them, How can you believe when you receive glory, same Greek word, doxa, when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory, doxa, that is from the one and only God. So, sinful man, again, is always going to end up looking for glory from man, not for glory that comes from God. And we're going to come back to this scripture 544 again, because notice... The implication here, you and I should be seeking God's glory. That should be our quest in life. Not worried about people's applause or their praise or whatever honor they want to lavish on us. We should be seeking the glory that comes from the one and only God. And again in John 12, verse 43 the New American Standard. They, referring to man, they loved the approval, same word, doxa, the approval of men rather than the approval, the doxa, the glory of God. So God's approval of us is really His glory. That's what we're looking for. God's approval, not the approval of of men. Another shade of meaning here, all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Man in his fallen condition cannot see, cannot experience, cannot enjoy the glory of God. He is blind, he is lost, and he is spiritually dead. That's why you can have a group of people in the same building, in the same room. Some are seeing God's glory. They're worshiping and praising God. Others are looking at their cell phone or looking around the room wondering what the heck is going on here. They're dead. They're blind. They're lost. They need to be redeemed. They need to be saved so that their eyes can be opened and they can experience the glory of God. Fallen man cannot see or enjoy the glory of God. Another meaning, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the meanings we saw there, he is in need of, he's lacking. He wants the glory of God. He, he suffers need. There's this longing inside. Even fallen man may not understand it, but there's something inside that's restless. Something inside that says, cars and boats and money and jobs and trophies on my mantle, they don't make me happy. Why? What is it that I'm longing for? Well, it's the glory of God. He's in need of, he's fallen short of the glory of God. And finally, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sinful, fallen, unregenerate man is unable to partake in God's glory, either here on earth or ultimately in eternity. If you put all those uh, meanings together, this simple little verse suddenly becomes very profound. All have missed the mark, and they've missed the bullseye, which is God's glory. They've fallen short of it, they've deviated from it, they've missed it, they're deficient in it. It's the glory of God. And we're going to come back to Romans 3, 23 and 24 at a later time in this series when we really look at the, the theme of God's glory in the New Testament. But we have a lot more groundwork to do first before we get to that. But in summary, what we've seen so far is God's glory is the radiance of who God is. His goodness, His love, His power, His, wi his wisdom, His faithfulness. All the attributes that make God God, it's the shining forth. It's the very radiating of that splendor, of that weight, that fullness of who God is. And time and time again, we'll see this in the scriptures, God's glory appeared to the people. It was something they could see, something they could feel, something that they could witness. They knew when it was there and when it wasn't. And... When Moses prayed to the Lord, and we didn't look at this again tonight, but where he said, Lord, if your presence 
doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. Well, the, the presence of God shines forth with the glory of God. If God isn't present, His glory will not be seen. So, they're not exactly synonymous, but when, when God is manifestly present, what you see is glory. And so, as we're seeking God's presence, as we're praying like Moses prayed, Lord, what else distinguishes us from all the other people on the face of the earth except for your presence, and I would add in parentheses, your glory? We're not different from any other people in the world unless God's grace, His goodness, His glory, His power is being manifested in and through us. And that's why we must seek for the bullseye. Don't settle for the outer fringes of the target. Go for the bullseye. Lord, it's you we want. You're the prize. You're the mark. You're, you're what we want. We want more of you. We want to get closer to you. We want your presence more powerfully when we come together for Bible study or for prayer or for worship. We're not interested in incidental things. We're interested in you. And you know, I'm reminded of an experience I had several years ago. Uh, some of you may have heard me talk about this, but it really marked me. This was a, a, a divine experience that God has been reminding me of lately. We were in Honduras, and several of us went up into the mountains to a place called Marcala, to have a little pastor's retreat in a vacant house. There was just a handful of us going there, and to be honest with you, we were just thinking it was going to be a nice two or three days of relaxation and quiet in the mountains to pray, maybe read the Bible, and have some fellowship together. Well, God had, had other plans, and each night that we were there, more and more people were arriving to this place. Now, you have to understand, this is in the middle of nowhere. I have pictures of this place. Beautiful scenery, nothing but mountains all around there, coffee plantations, just a beautiful place. But nobody's anywhere for miles. And I don't know, I honestly do not know how it happened, but by the end of the fifth night, we had about 45 people who had come there, and they were staying there. People kept arriving. We had to keep buying uh, little mattresses to lay around the floor so they would have a place to sleep. We ended up feeding 40 to 45 people by the last day that we were there. But here's the point I want to make. As more and more people came there, we had no agenda we had no outline, we had no study notes, we had no plan of what we were going to do. All we did was gather there to seek God. And there was a young man that brought along a beat-up old acoustic guitar that was missing a string. I'm not making this up. It didn't even have all the strings. It had only five strings. 
And this young man only knew about three or four songs. He was not, you know, a professional musician. He didn't have a repertoire of 150, you know, worship songs. Three or four simple choruses, but my goodness, we would start singing and worshiping God, and the glory of God would come down. And I'm talking about for hours, we were lost in the presence of God, weeping, praying, singing, talking about the Lord, praising God, sharing testimonies, talking about the scriptures. And I think about that a lot now. We often think, oh, well, we need, you know, professional lighting and the right atmosphere, and we need to play just the right kind of a song so the glory of God will come down. Baloney. We don't need any of that. God doesn't need our help. All he's looking for is hungry, thirsty hearts, and he's quite ready and willing to come and manifest his glory when those conditions are met. And I think about those days a lot, how God visited us there in those mountains. And I've been telling the Lord, Lord, what is it that we're doing now that's hindering that from happen happening? And I think one thing we're going to be looking at as we proceed through this study is what are the things in our lives that can hinder God's glory from being fully manifested in our midst. And I think as we seek God, God is going to begin to reveal things to us and help us to come to a place where we truly can see his glory. He wants us to see his glory. He designed us to see his glory. He knows better than we do. We're never going to be fulfilled we're never going to truly be satisfied with anything less than the pure glory of God. And I shared last time, and we're going to look at this again in the future in more detail. If you think of fire, fire is a mysterious thing, and God likens himself to a consuming fire. Whenever fire is around, you know it. It glows, you see the light emanating from the flames, you feel the heat. If you get too close, you get burned, and the smoke is quite evident from that fire. I think fire and God are very similar, and if you understand fire, you can begin to understand that the, the light, the heat, the smoke, those are all secondary evidences of the fire. That's what glory is. Glory is that heat, that light, that smoke, that visible emanation, that visible evidence that fire is here. God is present. God is in his sanctuary. And we're going to see numerous places in the Bible. Whenever God's glory was manifested in a certain place, people couldn't even stand. They, they couldn't do anything. It was so overwhelming. The weight, the heaviness 
of God's fullness literally knocked them to the ground in some instances. They couldn't even talk. They couldn't perform their duties. They were overwhelmed by that glory. God wants us to see and to experience his glory. And again, I want to encourage you as we move along through this, this is not just a Bible study. I am praying that many of us can get a revelation from the Holy Spirit to begin to seek more earnestly for God's glory to be manifested in the church and through the church. You know, Isaiah 60 talks about these last days. Darkness, gross darkness, is coming upon the earth. And my friend, every week we hear something new in the news, and if you're listening carefully, what you're hearing is, it's getting darker. The darkness is getting thicker and grosser with each passing week. But, Isaiah also says, when things are getting darker and darker in the earth, God's people are to arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's where we are now. God wants his glory to arise and shine through the people of God. As it gets darker in the world, the brightness, the light, and the glory of God upon the church will be more and more evident. We will see that the ultimate purpose of the gospel is to bring forth a glorious church, a radiant, shining church called the Bride of Christ. More about that later. If you are following in your outline, at the bottom of page 4, the end of part 1, the introduction, I've given an outline of what we're hoping to look at in coming weeks. This being part one, just an introduction. What we want to begin next time in part two is to look at the glory of God manifested in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a number of scriptures in the Old Testament where God's glory was displayed, where people saw it, they felt it, how they reacted to it, what, what did they actually see, what did they actually experience when the glory of God came. And in part three, we're still going to be in the Old Testament, looking more at how God gains glory and how he wants to share that glory with his people but a, a stern and a frightening warning of how it can also be lost. We will look at the whole story of Eli and his sons, how the ark of God was captured and the glory of God departed from Israel. A very uh, scary, frightening time in Israel's history, uh, which culminated in the naming of one of Eli's grandsons, Ichabod. What a name to give to a boy, Ichabod. The, the word literally means the glory has departed. Remember, 
the Hebrew word for glory is kabod or kabod. Well, ikabod means glory departed. The glory of God has departed from Israel. And sadly, we're going to begin to see how in many cases God's glory is beginning to depart from the churches because they've deviated so grossly from God's word and from true worship of God that his glory has lifted off. It has departed. It has gone away. We want to see how God can use us to bring the glory of God back into the church, back into our lives. So, part four, we're going to shift gears from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we're going to look specifically at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory was revealed through his Son, Jesus Christ. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. Part five, we're going to dig even deeper, and we're going to look at some of the things we touched on tonight, but in greater depth. The glorious gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the glorious gospel. And its intended outcome is to produce a glorious church. And we will also see that through the glorious gospel, God replaced the old covenant and its ministry with a more glorious ministry. It's called the ministry of the Spirit. So a glorious gospel, glorious ministry, and a glorious church. In part six, we're going to go further out, and we're going to look at God's ultimate eternal purpose, which is eternal glory. We're going to talk about a number of scriptures that point to the glory that awaits us in eternity. It's called eternal glory. And then part seven is going to be more of a practical application of all the things we learn. How do we live for the glory of God? How can I change my life in such a way that, as we read earlier here, that I really am seeking God's glory, not the glory of this world, not the glory that comes from men, but seeking God's glory. How can I truly glorify God? And one interesting scripture that we're going to look at when we do get there, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? For the glory of God. Even eating for the glory of God. Sleeping for the glory of God. Whatever you do, driving a cab, working on a computer, taking out the trash, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Now, I must confess, uh, I'm, I'm not there yet, but this scripture has really challenged me 
that God wants to bring this down to a level where every breath we take is for his glory. Whatever we're doing, we have this in mind. I want to glorify God, and I want to connect with God's glory. Summarizing again, the heart of the, of the New Testament, the heart of the gospel message is that all have sinned and fallen short, not just of God's standards, his Ten Commandments, his righteous requirements, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, Christ came to undo all of the effects and bad consequences of that fall. So if all have fallen short of the glory, the end purpose of the gospel of Christ is to restore us to the glory of God. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope and great excitement that what Moses prayed for is really something God wants to fulfill now in your life and mine. Show me now your glory. And I believe the New Testament answer to Moses' prayer is, I have, I will, I want to. God wants to show us his glory. He already has. The Bible says the whole earth is full of the glory of God. Everything God created reflects his glory. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. When you look up at the blue sky or the moon or the stars at night, what you're seeing is the glory of God. It's, it's, a, it's a representation of God's fullness, his wisdom, his power. But more importantly, he now wants to manifest that glory in us, in the church, and through us to the world. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So as we are walking this out, the nations, the peoples around us who are in gross darkness and confusion, the Bible says they will be drawn to that light. Notice they're not coming because we have a fancy program or great entertainment. They're coming because they're looking for light. They're looking for glory. And one of the things we're going to look at further along and this is where I believe many churches and many ministries have missed the mark. What they're doing is substituting entertainment, big-name celebrities, fancy sanctuaries, light shows, music, and dazzling media. They're substituting all of that for the real glory of God. It's a counterfeit. And if the crowds you draw are coming to hear entertainment, look at smoke and light shows and hear their favorite celebrity preacher or celebrity singer, then that's what you're going to get. A bunch of people that are looking for carnal entertainment, not really looking for the glory of God. Personally, 
Um, I've seen enough of the entertainment and the big names and the light shows and the smoke and the fireworks and the media and all that. I want the real thing now. I want the glory of God. And if it if I have to be up in a mountain with four or five people strumming on a guitar that's missing a string to find that glory, so be it. But once you've tasted and seen the real thing, it's hard to settle for these cheap substitutes and counterfeits. And I believe God is calling his church in these last days to repent of a lot of those things. To say, Lord, we're sorry for substituting entertainment and glitter and glamour and light shows and all this foolishness for what you and only you can give us. Your presence and your glory. The interesting thing about God's glory, I don't care who you are, how wealthy or powerful you are, you can't fake it and you can't manufacture it. We can't make God's glory appear every Sunday. We have to humble ourselves, we have to seek God and wait for His presence to show up. And I believe as he sees the sincerity of our hearts, he's more and more willing to do that. He wants to display his glory. He wants to manifest his power. But I think he first has to see that we mean business. We're tired of the substitutes. We're tired of the counterfeits. We want the real thing. That's the kind of prayer Moses prayed. Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with us unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know, when you start to pray like that and you mean it, God starts to show up more and more regularly in your day-to-day -day life. And honestly, I've been praying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything unless you're there, unless you're in it. I have no interest in just going to churches and preaching and, and being able to say, oh, I ministered in 25 churches this year, or I went to 10 countries this year. I'm not interested in any of that. If the Lord's not there, if he doesn't go with us, we're wasting our time. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Let's really, in these coming days, earnestly seek God. Spend time fasting if you can. Tell the Lord, Lord, we need your presence. We need a manifestation of your power and your glory in the midst of the church. Period. That's all we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need a lot of money. We don't need more cars. We don't need a bigger place. We need your glory. That's what the church needs more than anything else in these last days. Let's pray as we bring our introduction to a close tonight. And I think you're going to be excited as we move along through this study. There's a lot in the Bible about God's glory. And I think there's a lot that the Holy Spirit is going to want to teach us about the glory of God. Pray with me as we close. Father, 
in the mighty and the glorious name of Jesus, your Son, the radiance, the express image of your glory, your Son, O God, the Word that became flesh. In his name we pray tonight that you would show us your glory. Open the eyes of our understanding. Give us deeper revelation into who you are, what your glory looks like, what it really is. And Father, what we long for more than anything is your presence. Lord, there's no substitute for your presence. We can have all the best plans, the best speeches, the best programs, and it all comes short. If your presence doesn't go with us, we go nowhere. If your presence is not with us, we're no different from anybody else on the face of planet Earth. God, I pray in these coming days, as we seek you, that you would draw near to us. Manifest your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your forgiveness, your power in the midst of your people. Lord, let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, God, whatever sin did to separate us from you, let the blood of Calvary and the redemption that came through Calvary, let it undo all of those negative consequences and restore us to your glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless your people. Keep each and every one of us as the apple of your eye until Jesus comes in his glory for his glorious church. In Jesus' name, amen.